forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and reluctant salad eater. Hey, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and Diet Coke enthusiast. Ooh. Look at my new shirt. It's a podcast, Gabby. I know. Well, I got a shirt that says Taste Diet Coke. It's like from the 80s. I'm very excited about it. Do you remember that there was like this story circulating like 10 years ago that this woman was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk and then she stopped drinking Diet Coke and then she could walk again? I have never heard that. (laughs) That is so, that, no, absolutely not. I feel like my dad sent me that story and was like, see, it's bad for you. That is wild. That is, you know, that reminds me of, that reminds me of like when my mom used to do like email forwards of like George Bush's face looking like a monkey. And like, that was like the peak of comedy. Oh man, I don't know. I remember at the time being like, wow. And now I think of that (laughs) often and I'm like, that can't be true. Like there's no scenario where that could possibly, possibly be true. It's so awful. It's like ableist garbage. It's It's so so awful. Oh my God. Wait, speaking of delightful comedy, I wanted to bring something up to and thank someone. Can I? Sure. Okay. So this person, Serena Palmer, made an incredible parody of Just Between Us. Yes. (laughs) That is the funniest thing I have ever seen. I posted it on our Instagram, but the whole thing is on uh, her YouTube channel. It's a long, it's like seven minutes long. And it's just a parody of every episode of Just Between Us. And I have never... The podcast, though. The podcast. She does each of our parts with like barely a costume change. And I (laughs) felt so red to filth. Uh, Her account is at Serena Palmer underscore. I have never felt more seen red. It was incredible. (laughs) My favorite part was when it was like going into something and it was like my character, my character, me, my part was like, and I've, I've gathered my notes from school and I've put together a list. And then you were like, uh, I just off the fly. I'm coming in hot with. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were a lot of things that I was like, oh, my God, I'm a cartoon like that, like where you've put together this like list or whatever to answer the listener's question. And then I just go dump him or like there was one. There's a part where like I say something that is just wrong and then you go, I don't think that's true. And then I just double down. Like there were so many parts where I was like, God, or even like um, there's a part where she's doing hypotheticals. And yeah. first of all, her hypothetical is great. But then also. Oh, yeah. Her hypothetical was like better than my hypotheticals. <laughs> <laughs> but then also that um, that my first question is how famous is the person? Yeah, and I was like and I was like, wow, I, like just watching watching someone parody you. Or was it how famous or how rich? Oh, it was how rich. Are yeah, they? how rich. Was and I was like, God, uh, I love it. Even like other times where people will like make parodies of us or like make jokes about the show. I'm like, why am I such a cartoon? But it's also so loving. It's It's like flattering. It's amazing. There's nothing more narcissistic than when sometimes I just go through fan art people have made of me. (laughs) I love fan art of us. It brings me so much joy. My like favorite one is the person who drew me as an elf. 
I love it. I want to use it as my my picture all the time for everything. Yeah. I showed a hair. I was like getting a haircut. I showed it to the hairdresser. She didn't give a shit. But I was like, <laughs> look at this picture. Someone drew of me as an elf. Like I'm <laughs> what I live in a different world. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you're wondering who the fuck are we? This is just <laughs> between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. I would like more fan art. Well, speaking of fan art, we also love reviews. Woo! Um, as you guys know, because uh, we we beg you for reviews and subscriptions to this podcast all the time. One of the best ways that you can support us is to subscribe to this podcast and to rate and review us. Uh, and in order to incentivize you to do that, sometimes we read some of our favorite reviews on this very show, which is something we are about to do right now. From Emma Roberts, like the actress, <laughs> entitled like we like our favorite reviews to be entitled Gabby is hot, Allison is smart, Woo! leaving a five star review because I love this show. It's hilarious and relatable, but also pushes my progressive thinking and expands my worldview to new perspectives, which I enjoy. Who needs books when a podcast makes me think this much? LOL. Oh, yeah. We have a wonderful guest today who's a friend of Allison's father, uh, Tony Verhain. We're going to ask him some tough questions about mental health in the workplace because he wrote an incredible book called In Our Reach, all about like resourceful employees and how to build and preserve wealth at work and also how to take advantage of all of the benefits that you have at work. So thank you to Ken Raskin for once again finding us an incredible guest. <laughs> uh, in addition to Melissa, he is, a, I guess, our, our guest booker. <laughs> so stick around after the break. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Tony Verhane. And Tony is the founder and driving force behind the Richfield Companies, an independent financial advisory firm originally founded in 2005 and the author of the forthcoming book, In Our Reach, How Resourceful Employees Build and Preserve Wealth at Work. Hello. Hi. I went through your book and I wrote down a million questions. Are you prepared to answer them? <laughs> I, I better be. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we should start by saying we're also really interested in talking to you because you talk a lot about the intersection between finances and mental health and how the two often impact each other. It's the starting point for the book, that's for sure. So where do most Americans get the bulk of their like physical, financial, mental, communal wherewithal? The, the vast majority of Americans get it at work. They get it from their, their employer. There are roughly 100 million employees that are Americans that uh, work as full-time employees and get their benefits in the workplace. And it, it could be training. It could be the health insurance. It could be their retirement plan. But that's where they get it from their employer. So we talk a lot on this show about freelancers um, and I think less so about nine to five workers. Maybe that's just because of our age group. But what are the different struggles or advantages that you that you see or what are some things that get left out of the conversation in terms of like nine to five employees? Well, nine to five employees uh, are fortunate to have employers that do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. So the employee, uh, you know, if they work for a larger employer, 10 employees, 20 employees, 50 employees and up, their employer is most likely making decisions on their behalf that affect their health insurance, their dental insurance, their disability insurance, their 401k, 
So all those things translate into the different aspects of their, their overall financial well-being. And so, you know, when it comes to saving, borrowing, investing, protecting, it, the nine to five crowd, you know, if we're, if we're going to call them that, they, they have a lot of things that they're already done for them. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there are certain things that they ignore or they overlook because so much is already be do- being done for them. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because in your book, you talk a lot about people who don't take advantage of their benefits. And so what are some reasons that there are roadblocks for people taking advantage of everything that their employers provide? Like, you know, I often talk on my show, Bad With Money, about just not knowing, like, what sort of things should an employer provide? And how come people just like are too scared or whatever to engage with it? You know, I don't know how much fear has to do with it. But I, I appreciate the question. And you're absolutely right. A lot of times it's just ambivalence. They, people, we're all leading busy lives. And so we, we tend to think and act sometimes as financial human beings like zombies. And so we're not really, we're not really paying attention until it matters in, in almost a crisis type mode. As employees, we're really not digging very deep into the benefits or the resources that are available to us. Conversely, the employers, you know, they offer the benefits. They're already spending a lot of time to build them and money to provide them. When it comes to communicating them, they can only spend so much time. And so a frontline supervisor is not going to be real excited if their HR folks or their CEO says, hey, let's spend five hours educating employees on all the resources that are in their reach. They're more likely to say, I'll give you a half hour and then we've got to get back to work. So there's there's really a huge disconnect. And, um, you know, it's it just the employee is ultimately left to try to figure out. And that's what I noticed over time was I had, if I could divide an audience into, into thirds, I had the group of employees that would never do what I was talking about or what whatever it was supposed to be done. I had a third that would always do it and were fully engaged. And then I had a third that I was really trying to fight to help. If I could get all those all those employees to pay closer attention to the benefits guide, to, to tap into the resources that are in their reach, I think we'd be much further ahead. People would be much, like in terms of personal finance, they'd be better off. Like if you work a nine to five and you just don't know, what are some things that your employer should be giving you? I'm sure you know health insurance, but like, what are you missing? I'm going to start big picture the employer should be giving you communication. Whatever it is that they provide, they should be really educating you about those benefits so that you're, you're really aware of them. They should be educating your spouse if you're, if you're married. So I, I'm going to start with the communication aspect. And then as far as the benefits go, there's usually a hierarchy that employers follow as they're growing, as they're growing from a, a startup to you know, a global organization. Typically, they start with just case. And good pay, then they might add bonuses, they might add other types of incentives. It's, and it's, we call this total rewards. And then they might go, uh, they might start providing vacation. And then at some point, when they can afford it, they'll do health insurance or they'll, or they'll do a retirement plan. And they'll continue to build to the point where they've covered many bases. So the large companies, they're actually providing really robust services on-site meals, they're providing uh, daycare for both uh, children and adult dependents. So there's a, a whole lot that they're doing and they should be doing, but uh, the question is often, can they do it? And I, I have a question when it comes to kind of the mental health of it all. In, in my, my graduate yeah. program, 
Um, we've talked a little bit about EAP, which is these employee assistant programs, which is actually like they they have these mental health services available to employees. But I feel like a lot of employees don't know that they're available or how to access them. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. So it, an EAP or an employee assistance program, it's a workplace program to identify and resolve really productivity issues that are associated with employee performance and conduct. But it ties back to the employees or their families' uh, concerns. So mental health, uh, substance abuse, other types of issues like that are usually addressed by the EAP. So if an employer ha- or a supervisor has an employee that's struggling with something happening at home, something in their personal life, the supervisor is not a mental health care professional, nor am I. I'm not a qualified mental health provider. But they can give that toll-free number to the employee, and the employee can call, presumably 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the employee can begin to get help with whatever their issue is. So that's big picture what an EAP is. You know, how it ties into mental health, it's supposed to do it. But uh, as I think I shared with you previously, it's, um, it's a little bit hit or miss because of how these, um, these programs are procured by employers how they're built by the vendors, that sort of thing. Have you found any sort of repercussions in terms of people seeking out mental health help at work? Or do you find that a lot of places are actually like actively going after making sure their employees have strong mental health? That's a great question. So pre-COVID, pre-COVID, it was less discussed. (laughs) Um, your, Your health plan provides for it, your the EAP addresses it, that sort of thing. But before COVID, there was certainly more of a stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, there was still, it, it still was not treated equally, even though it's treated equally under the, in, in a plan, a health insurance plan. There, you know, there's just, uh, there's just a lot of reasons that employees aren't comfortable sharing that insight with their supervisor, their HR team, their, whoever they work for. So a lot of times they're not willing or they're not willing, the employee who has the greatest need isn't willing to bring the issue to the attention of their employer. They go to the EAP, and if they're working with a good EAP, one that provides real robust services, they, they get good attention. But if they're with a lousy EAP, then they're not going to get good attention, and they don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. And really, there is not a place that I'm aware of that employees can turn. To me, it's a problem, and I hope that, I hope that with COVID, one of the positives that com- comes out of this is greater attention to these workplace resources that really need to be better, in my opinion. How could they be better? Well, one, we need some kind of oversight at, uh, at a national level, whether it's a nonprofit or a government agency um, to sort of get involved and help us oversee these things. I think that would be helpful. I don't think a lot of people are going to be receptive to that. But the reality is, is that we need better governance of these plans. Employers at the individual level, they have the ability to basically imp- uh, procure these plans, it, you know, go out, do a search in the marketplace, find the best EAP, and then implement it. And they can oversee it. They usually get these reports that tell them who's using the plan for what and any kind of feedback they get. But if you think about someone who's in a real emergency situation, and they call that EAP, if it's a crummy EAP, they're not even going to want to leave any kind of a feedback. So there's something called phantom networks. 
that e- that some EAPs use. They'll say, they'll say we have ten providers in your in your area, maybe within ten or twenty miles of your residence. But most of those e- those uh, providers, if you need them, they don't have capacity. They're not going to accept new patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So say you take someone who's in a desperate situation. You give them the names and phone numbers of people who are presumably standing by and ready to help them, only to find, only to leave that person who needs help to struggle, continue to struggle alone. So it's a lot of like showiness and talk of like, this is what we're doing for the mental health of our employees. Look at how great we are. But like when you get down to it, it's not really doing anything. In some cases, yes. Because uh, employee assistance programs are oftentimes, in particular for smaller employers, nothing more than a value-added service offered by the, the employer's life or disability insurance carrier. Or maybe it's a local healthcare provider that's offering EAP services just to try to, uh, just to use it as sort of a, a, a loss leader to bring new patients in. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it, you know, if you look at the large organizations, they do a good job with the due diligence to find the right vendors. But you nailed it. Uh, in those, in, in a lot of cases, it's a little bit of window dressing, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because it's the employee who needs the help or mm-hmm. somebody that they love, right? Someone at home. And, and yet they, they don't have a good feedback mechanism. If they go back to the employer and they say, hey, I tried to call because I was, you know, I was, uh, I needed help. Now the employer knows that that employee has trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I do like the EAPs. They can be a, va- a valuable resource. I talk about it in the book. Um, but the reason I put mental health at the beginning of the book is you can't have good personal finance without, um, without good mental health. Why don't you think that you can't have good personal finance without good mental health? Why does mental health uh, the first step? You know, like if you think about well, what mental health, it's um, it, it's just a, it's a state of well-being, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the individual might realize that they, you know, like what they could do, they can handle stress, uh, you know, the stress of life. Um, you know, they can enjoy life. They have balance. So, if they don't have that, then to me, having spent so many years in the trenches trying to educate and help these people out of their financial problems and understand the financial opportunities. If they don't have good mental health, then all the education that I do, all the benefits that the employer provides are almost meaningless. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why people are, you know, like there's, there's a lot of talk in our society about uh, financial literacy. Having spent so many years doing that, like talking one-on-one or in groups, I can tell you that most of the people that I met were the furthest thing from illiterate in the workplace. They might have needed some guidance. They might've wanted some clarity on different things. That's normal. But I often found that, and I often thought, you know, and this is kind of based on a a personal experience that I had, that this is more, this is more mental health than it is financial literacy. There's a difference between having the education and having the motivation. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. Good. Well put. Well, I think I took that from your book. I wrote it down in my notes. So, uh, <laughs> but also not having financial stability is a huge exacerbator on your mental health. I mean, not feeling financially secure is is really detrimental to to your mental well being. Absolutely, it's a vicious circle sometimes. And feeling like you can't prepare for retirement, and feeling like you don't have savings, and feeling like 
you're not able to, you know, invest your money wisely. Uh, like and that if, if that if you have one incident, um, you know, one large medical bill that you'll be in debt, you know, it's hard to relax. Yeah. And I think also to get started, right, you talked about these benefits being like a five hour seminar and then you kind of just zone out or like it just it seems it seems overwhelming all the paperwork to even understand what your employer might provide. The feeling of being overwhelmed is like a huge stressor to people that would normally benefit wildly from from these benefits. Everything you're saying is accurate. It's exactly right. (laughs) How do people get over that hump of, of feeling like it, it's too much? In the book, I start with basically trying to draw the reader's attention to some, some real simple personal attributes. My industry has a tendency to try to categorize people, lump them into different categories. Are you a miser? Are you a spendthrift? Are you whatever? So I've met just too many people to try to pigeonhole them into those kinds of categories, those you know uh, avatars. Mm-hmm. So I try to draw the reader to a mindset. The mindset is a, is a combination of their beliefs and their attitudes. Their ability or desire to manage situations, whatever it is, and however they, they manage it. And then their resources. So if, if you get to the end of that chapter, that first chapter, and you say, I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in a great place, you know. Well, then, if you're not in a great place, odds are good you're not contributing your 401k. Odds are good you're not, you know, you're not worried about your debt. You, you, you have other, other issues. And so that's what I do. I, I tell the reader, let's start there. Um, let's make sure that we're, we're mentally ready for this before we continue on and start talking about health insurance or, you know, any, or those types of things. I mean, you mentioned in the book, like breaking down your financial goals and becoming a, a resourceful employee. So and also talking about employees sharing knowledge with each other. So I feel like those two are probably, in my experience, like two things that could really help. One is like being proactive and talking with the other people at your job and then also going home and like writing down what your goals are. Right. Can you talk a little bit about sharing knowledge with other people at work. And then also after that, talk about breaking down your financial goals. Absolutely. So, well, I like where you're starting with that because, um, you know, especially if, if, you know, if you have listeners who are younger, they're out of college now and they're getting into the workforce or they're, you know, they're thinking about getting back into the workforce. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, chapter one is titled, We Don't Need to Walk Alone, or maybe the introduction, we don't, we don't Walk Alone. Oftentimes, we go to our jobs, and we're not supposed to talk about money. We, we just fall into the, you know, our routine, and we find our, 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 our groups, you know, where do we fit within the, you know, within the organization. And as I, I, as I talk about in the book, there were so many times where I'd be talking about a benefit, or an employee would bring up a benefit that they all have access to. And most of the people look like deer in the headlights. They, they've never heard of it. <laughs> and, you know, like, again, the employers don't have a ton of time to dedicate to, uh, you know, communication, education about their benefits or the other perks at work. So, um, you know, employees tend to forget about it. And so this is where I would say, man, find a, a role model within the workplace, somebody that you feel really, you know, they're not necessarily an entrepreneur. They don't have a side business, but somehow they're just doing the right thing. 
um, you know, find out who those people are and, and talk to them and ask if they'll be a resource to you. You know, HR, the benefits people, they're supposed to be that. That's their job. The vendors that serve the employees, that's supposed to be their job. But I, a lot of times, employees don't even ask. So that's the first part, right? And I'm not calling everybody to be that resourceful employee. But, but I, do, I do think if we look at those resourceful employees, we're going to learn a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as goals go, I, I think a lot of times people put the goal, the, the cart before the horse, right? Uh, they set their goals, but they don't know what they have. They haven't taken inventory of all these resources. They don't know where they stand or how far these resources, what they already have, will get them. Mm-hmm. So I encourage them to first, you know, step back, take inventory, assess the situation, and then set the goal. And then make the plan. And goal setting is really simple, right? I mean, it's, it's one sentence. Who's going to do it? What are they going to do? Why are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? Actually, it doesn't even include how. It's when. How is the plan? You know, it's after the goal. So, you know, I actually include that in the book. But um, the, the one thing I would say about goal setting, at least in terms of personal finances, uh, don't set your goals until you really have a firm understanding of where you're at. If it's a simple goal, like I want to increase my credit score. I mean, well, what is your credit score? Have you even looked at it? Um, where do you go to look at it? Do you realize just how, you know, that it's a little bit more nuanced than just one score? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but once you have that, then you could, then, then you set your goal. And I, I also feel like there's all these things floating around about like how much sh- savings you should have at a certain point and like, oh. you know, and, and I feel like so much of it is antiquated based on like how the economy used to be. And so all of these people feel like they're so behind, but I, people just aren't making the same amount of money that they used to be able to make. Yeah. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sometimes those rules of thumb are counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to, I mean, I would encourage your audience to sometimes question those rules of thumb that they hear. Um, and I, I cover several in the book. But there's something called the precautionary principle, and it's used in in personal finance a lot, in particular by people who are trying to sell products. And the precautionary principle is basically, in simple terms, it's you'd rather be better, you're better to be safe than sorry, right? Mm -hmm. Allison, like you just pointed out, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. When I started in this business uh, 25 years ago, um, which I know it seems like a long time, but it goes by fast. The employees that I would work with were being encouraged to save up to 10% of their annual income in ret- for retirement. Mm-hmm. Today, you hear financial planners, you hear, uh, like, you hear it in different places. Now it's 20%. It went from 10% to 12% to 15% to 20%. And that, that applies to life insurance. It, it applies to a lot of different things, emergency accounts. And so it, what does that do? It actually creates stress <laughs> for the people I'm trying to help. Because they think they're so far behind. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, if you, if you feel like you're that far behind, what's the point in starting the, the job, the run? What, what's the point of even taking a first step? So um, I hope you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I took that, your, the answer in the direction that you intended the question, but um, I do cover a lot of different rules of thumb that some are, some are, you know, I think valuable, like emergency savings, but Others can be a real problem. You talk about in the book a thing that I think I get asked about a lot, which is how to ask for a raise. 
So like how to ask for a raise and how to go into (laughs) asking for a raise in a way that you are prepared. Um, So can you talk about like what to do before you ask for a raise and what to do in the meeting? Sure. So the the first thing you need to do is you really need to uh, get a lay of the land, Mm -hmm. assess Mm -hmm. the situation. Does your supervisor actually have any kind of discretionary control over your raise? If you work for a small company and you're walking into the president's office, you know, you, that, that's one thing. She might be able to, she might have a little bit more flexibility with you. If you work for a large organization where compensation is really stringently managed, well, then you have a lot less flexibility. And that person you're sitting down with might not have any say, mm-hmm. any. So, um, so that's the first thing I would encourage the, you know, your, your audience to do is start there. Then do your homework, go online. I, I don't, in my book, uh, offer many websites to go to because over time I found that sometimes when, I, when I've made those recommendations, either the site becomes corrupted or uh, the organization no longer ceases to exist or they weren't credible in the first place. So, But there are places you can go on the web to try to get a sense of what the compensation should be for someone in your job duty or with your job, you know, like your job description. Well, with your education, with your skill level, years of experience, that sort of thing. So then, uh, you know, I actually do give the reader a process to go through, something that's a little bit more methodical and that an employer will appreciate. So, uh, you know, you want to approach them early on and ask for the opportunity to talk. When you go in and talk, you want to keep it short and sweet, 15 minutes. You want to understand, get a sense of how the organization is doing, what the organization's priorities are, where you fit. And then if you feel comfortable, then say, I'd like to talk to you about my compensation. And compensation is not just your pay. It could be your benefits. It could be other perks. It could be your job. You know, it could be your, uh, your, your work uh, environment. Uh, you have to decide what you really want. You know, then, then once you do that, then you come back after you've had time or you, when it's more convenient for your supervisor. They're prepared. But you need to go back to the, your supervisor and sort of lay out what your contributions have been. If you're mm-hmm. in a team environment, sometimes that's a little bit harder, but you have to still be able to help them remember what it is you did for them yesterday. Cause these are very busy people just as you're very busy people. So they need to kind of be reminded of what it is that you mean to the team and the value that you provide. You ask for what you can get um, or you tell them what you need. Uh, and I'd rather see people do this. And frankly, the employers that I've worked with over the last 25 years, most of them would rather employees take this approach than coming in in a, you know, like in a, you know, an angered state or, uh, you know, like a bitter state and, you know, tell them that they already have an offer. Because by then, uh, the employer might not, you know, come to the table. And, and as I tell, I, I do relate stories. I saw that happen plenty of times. Good people left good organizations because the two of them didn't talk about comp. So you kind of have to create a presentation on yourself <laughs> and be like, here's me. Yeah. Here's what I do. Cash, I need to get you to do my marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my own podcast called Bad With Money. So I do I do this all yeah. the time. I think you and I probably see yeah. the same stuff. Before we move on to the next segment, you know, we started off talking about how so much of our lives are our work and, and we get so much, so much from our work. And, and so how do you recommend that people main, maintain a good work-life balance? 
boy, that's a that's a tough question. I what do you recommend? <laughs> so what, what do you what would you tell your <laughs> meditation? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. No, I think I think also. Well, it, I love how you put that. So many things come from work. Like to me, it's like when I had nine to fives. Right, my friends were at work. My my boyfriend at the time worked with right. me. You know, if there were parties, they were work sponsored. Um, you know, obviously your health care comes from work. Your your mental health care right. comes from work. I think saying that there's a work life balance, I think there's less so now because work becomes your life, even your social life, even your physical life. So I, you know, I often say like the company is not your family. Like you need to prioritize yourself and get everything from it. I see people who go, well, I don't want to bother HR by asking about 401k matching. I don't want to bother, you know, I don't want to seem like a bother. And it's like, no, 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 they work for you. Like you have to. Amen. Oh, amen. <laughs> amen. You have to try to squeeze as much out of it as you can. And don't think <laughs> to me, it's like you can get caught up. Right. So you're like, oh, well, I don't know. They just threw us a party. And I'm like, I don't care about a party. Like, find out if you could get better dental. <laughs> yes. It's shocking how uh, how little employees ask those types of important questions. Mm-hmm. And, and HR, I mean, HR, a lot of times they go off of surveys, right? They survey their employees to see what the employees want. A lot of times information like, like what you're just describing gets lost. It's not acted upon. Yeah, I, uh, employees do need to speak up. They need to let their employers know what's working, what's not working. And like I said, a lot of employers will, larger employers will do those employee engagement surveys to try to find out. But a lot of times benefits are such a small part of that overall questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And so, and the employer might only get 15, 20% of the population to actually respond. Things are changing. I think COVID is really changing a lot of things. And, um, you know, it, it takes a crisis like this sometimes to wake people up to what's really going on and what's really needed. And and hopefully, you know, as we talked about, since it is such a big part of your life, we can work on our relationship with our jobs and, and try to make them as healthy as possible and, and maximize them, you know, as much in our advantage as possible. Yeah. Uh, but you asked about balance. Boy, that's something I've not really had to address. Um, so I, I try to help people make the most of resources and their financial plan and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the ba- balance is obviously important, and a lot of employers try to address it with various types of benefits that do make life easier, uh, but a lot don't. A lot can't afford that. that. That is a luxury for larger companies or companies that are, are more profitable. It's always very complicated, and there's so many emotions involved. Yeah, we, we tend to overcomplicate it, and that's what I try to do with the book is to give the, give the reader a better path. And, and give them questions that they can ask. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to do with the book is create a relationship, rapport with them, so that on my website, then I can begin to or continue the dialogue by giving them more insight. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, a, you know, it's a testament to, you know, figuring out what works and adjusting and, and talking about story with Rich. Would you like to play the game show hypotheticals? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I'm, I, I'm in this deep, so sure. Okay, stick around after the break. We'll be diving right in. Welcome back to Every 
everyone's favorite game show, Hypotheticals. Um, you and Gabby are going to be my contestants. Hypotheticals is a game show where I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many clarifying questions as you want and then tell me what you would do in those situations. And then I just arbitrarily decide if I like your answer. Okay. Are you ready to play? Yes. <laughs> I love the reluctance. That's what we want on this show, right? Well, I, I, my, my son told me not to do anything that will make me go viral. And my daughter told me not to be a Karen. So okay. <laughs> okay. I'm nervous. Perfect. Those are great ground rules. Speaking of your children, our first game is, are you a terrible parent? You've noticed that your child, 16, has been sneaking out at night and then sneaking back in around 2 a.m. In order for them to understand what it means to worry about someone you love, you stage what looks like a robbery while they are out and then go hide in the closet. (laughs) When they come home at 2 a.m., they see the house torn apart and their family missing. Are you a terrible parent? Ooh, uh, no. You're not? Why? Because I think you're going to drive the point home. I, I, it, I'm probably a terrible parent. I would never do that, but and my kids would probably know that I, 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 they would suspect me first. But because I, I play a lot of jokes on them, but um, yeah, I think it, it might be an effective way to drive the point home. It's pretty creative. <laughs> um, at what point do you show yourself uh, right before they're about to call nine one one? And what's their reaction? Are they crying? Yeah, I mean, they think that you've not only been robbed, but kidnapped. Where have they been going when they sneak out? You don't know. And do they? Just like they don't know where you've been kidnapped. (laughs) Is it just me, a single parent, or am I hiding with like other members of the family? Oh, you're hiding with your spouse and two of their siblings. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, uh, I think... I think think you're a terrible parent, but I also think it would work. I do too. <laughs> so pretty good parent. I think they would never trust you again. Here's what would happen. You do that, right? They go, mm-hmm, oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I learned my lesson. Right? Then then it, you really get robbed and kidnapped and they go, yeah, right. No, in this world, that never happens. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, you, okay. So I think you're a terrible parent. Ugh, fine. <laughs> yeah, I can live with that. But they oh, learn their lesson. Yeah. And they never sneak out again. Mm. But they end up getting kidnapped on vacation. Oh my god! Yeah, why, to your point, why did they sneak out in the first place? Right? Yeah. We, we got to understand why they snuck out. So if we pull this and and it, but they're sneaking out for reasons that you know that aren't going to stop, then we really didn't solve much. Maybe they'll call uh, us would, and let us know what's going on. They were just sneaking out for fun, just to just just for drugs. Oh, but oh, what yeah. for drugs? <laughs> yeah. That's not good. No, that's why you had to stop it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, our next game, America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You have been married to an actor for 10 years. They have been cast in a role and their character is a big time philanderer. You find out that they have been cheating on you with random people for the last two weeks. But when you confront them, they claim they have simply been method acting and have hated every minute of it. Would you stay with this cheater? No. 
No. They hate. They hated it. I don't believe that. I don't they, believe it either. It was just kissing. Oh, okay. And that. Why didn't they tell me that they were going to do that so they could <laughs> get into their role? Because then it wouldn't be true method acting. The whole point was the cheating aspect. And are they? How famous are they as an actor? Very famous. They're like a. And they are they known for method acting? Yes, they're like Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> known for method acting. <laughs> um. Okay, I'll stay. <laughs> cheating uh, to me, cheating is. Uh, I don't know. It just now you've. You've really complicated it a lot. Now I got to really think about what the other, what else, like what are their other, like what else do they mean to me? Yeah. What do they, what are good things they bring to the partnership? You know? Well, they're very rich. Well, okay. Not just that, but I mean, like, (laughs) you know, are they like, well, I'm never going to do it again. Are they attentive? But now here's the thing. Okay. So let's say they get cast as a serial killer. Are they going to go out and serial kill? Uh, They had to turn down those roles for that reason. Okay, that's really scary. Because they they could come home and like straight up stab me and then be like, sorry, I took a roll. Like, I don't trust that. No, they've had to turn down. They've had to turn down those roles. Yeah. But like, I feel like it's a ticking time bomb. Well, who are you going to find that actually killed somebody that's willing to, that's able to play that role? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I don't know that there, hopefully there aren't too many of those out there. Well, other actors just don't do this. Right. <laughs> just right. Don't feel compelled to be this method. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think I'm still going to go. Tony? Probably. You know what? You just kind of really with a method actor. and But, I, I mean, it was just kissing. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm on the fence. I, I, I don't know how long I've been with this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say I'm going to leave. We're, you're gonna leave. we're both leaving yeah, I, because you can't believe them right it's gonna right. be hard to believe them going forward right that's what i think all right but right. i will say daniel day lewis's wife has stayed so just keep that in mind <laughs> does he even have, do you even know if he has a wife i think he does and i think it drives her nuts um uh, yeah <laughs> I, be- I believe it would wow <laughs> Oh, well, you right. should have okay, him on I'm... your show. You you should have him on the show. <laughs> I should. We should try to have his wife on the yeah, show. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis's <laughs> wife, come be a guest on our show. We have so many questions about how you how you right. put up with your husband. Right, in mind. <laughs> okay, our final game: Is this person an alien or just rude? You meet your significant other's mother for the first time. You go to shake her hand, but instead she pulls you in for a hug, smells your hair, and murmurs <laughs> to herself, this won't do. Is this person an alien or just rude? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. It could be either. Yeah. Be either. Right? Right? I, okay. So what? So what is my prior relationship to this person like? You've never met them before. Listen to the setup. Okay, I'm sorry. And do we do we have any idea what their actual problem is with me with it? Yeah. No, you're meeting your significant other's mother for the first time, and this is your first interaction with her. So I have no context from my partner or anything about why this would be no. the case. All they've ever said is that they're lovely and they have a great relationship <laughs> with her. But what what I, can we ask her? What is what won't do? But I, right there, I'd be, right, I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be out. 
because I'd ask. You would hmm. say to her, what won't do? Well, but I'm not, I mean, I'm there because of the significant other, right? Or my, my partner. So, I mean, in-laws could be great or they could be horrible. Uh, I would, you, you just got to roll with it. But are they an alien or just rude? It I doesn't think- matter. <laughs> it doesn't wow, matter. Wow, existential. I think, <laughs> I think they're just rude. Okay. But I love the answer of it doesn't really matter. I love the Zen the Zen answer <laughs> of like, you know, sometimes you just got to put up with people and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because wow. you're there for your, the, your, your partner, right? I mean, you're meeting it's the true. family, presumably for everybody. So your partner's sake, your sake, their sake. Wow. That is very um, selfless. And like I said, Zen. So, uh, but I do think this person is rude. Agreed. They are an alien and they can tell that that your pheromones don't match. What? They're, yeah. Wait, so is then my partner half alien? Uh, full alien. Both parents oh. are aliens. Why have they never oh. told me? They don't kind know. Of exciting. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know. What if you were like, mom, dad, I'm adopt. I am I adopted? And they're like, no, you're an alien. We're all aliens, actually. And then you're like, oh, I would be so Pumped. Yeah, I know That'd you be would. So cool! Wow, wow, wow! Tony, thank you so much for joining. My God, um, we like we like to end the show by asking our guests to rate their experience being a guest on the podcast. Did you have a good time? Do you have any constructive criticism for us as hosts? I'm really grateful for being on the show. I think you two are. Very funny. I uh, I watched some of your podcasts, uh, different snippets. And in addition to being funny, I think you both are demonstrating wisdom. So, uh, you know, like I think it was your 100 show episode. You talked and you talked about service and gratitude were mm-hmm. things that you learned through the course of the shows. And you talked about compatibility, which actually ties into, into my book um, mm. in the advisor section. And you like you talked about emulating people, taking the best that you observe in people. I think that's awesome insight to share and you both do it with a smile and a laugh. So I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. That was very nice rather than criticism, but what would you give us as like a rating? Like, like, you know, 11 out of 10 or like, you know, whatever your rating would be of your time here. So A plus. <laughs> a, plus. a plus. Okay. You know, like think about the stress we live in this age of COVID, right? And we were yeah. forced to do a Zoom call. And we struggled with that for probably 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I was sweating bullets, trying to get it, you know, get it up and running. Um, but we, we overcame it. You guys made me feel really comfortable. So oh, I'm, good. I give you an A+. Plus. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And where can people find out more about you and, and purchase your amazing book? They can go to my website, which is in our reach. Dot com, or they can go to barnesandnoble.com and they can find my book there. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you us. so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you to Tony Verhane for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin, and me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Monts. Executive produced by Brett Poem, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. 
Check out video clips of our podcast at YouTube at youtube.com slash forever dog team or youtube.com slash just between us show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news. And also at JBU podcast on Instagram at Allison Raskin on Instagram and at Gabby road on Instagram. Bye. Forever. Forever.